0: Hello oh, and welcome to The Seagull, the place to stay up to date on everything you need to know about the 102nd Intelligence Wing at Otis Air National Guard Base, right here from beautiful Cape Cod, Massachusetts. I'm Tim Samlin from Public Affairs and I'm joined by Airman First Class Francesca Skridulis. Together we will get you up to speed on what's going on here at the wing.
1: This episode features our monthly command message, a short recap of some of the projects that went out to our social media and other podcasts over the past month, a conversation about the key spouse program Otis has, a new segment featuring the staff judge advocate's office, and some history about the Purple Heart Medal.
0: In this month's command message, our vice commander, Colonel Timothy Gordon, provides a bit of insight on the work that's been done and that is planned for the 102nd Intelligence Wing walking campus.
2: Greetings everyone and welcome back. I hope everyone is having a good summer. I'm Colonel Tim Gordon, Vice Wing Commander of the 102nd Intelligence Wing. And for this month's command message I'm going to talk about our facilities here on base and highlight the work that's been done over the past few years as well as some of the projects that are currently in the works and or in the planning phases. To provide just a little bit of background Over the past 10 plus years, we have been transitioning our base from a large industrial fighter wing complex into a much smaller intelligence wing, uh, more of a walking campus. Just for some context, the Air National Guard currently is responsible for over 3,600 acres here on Joint Base Cape Cod. That's a lot of land. Our goal is to shrink that down to 650 acres. And how are we going to do that? In order to meet this goal, we are working to move all our functions onto this side of the base, which we refer to as the East Campus. I'm standing here on a patch of grass at the intersection of Granville Ave and Ring Road. Granville, right here, is the main road that most of you travel in on. Ring Road is relatively new, and it's not yet complete, but the plan is for Ring Road to circle the entire East Campus, and in so doing, it'll it'll allow for better access and a reduction in vehicle traffic inside the Ring enhancing the notion of a walking campus. So uh, directly behind me is building 170. This houses our headquarters staff, the the mission support group headquarters and the Force support squadron. We moved into this building a little over five years ago. Prior to that, all of these functions were housed in building 158, that enormous hangar that we will get to a little bit later in the tour. Uh, Right now, we're gonna take a walk down Granville Ave and I'll point out some of the other projects we've been working on. So I think everyone is familiar with the building behind me. It's our DFAC. It is old and it's in tough shape. The good news is this building is in the design phase for a major renovation project. Construction probably won't start for at least a year, however, when it's complete, it will be a state-of-the-art facility for everyone to enjoy. In the meantime, however, we'll continue with our box lunches and we're also looking into using an Army National Guard facility on Joint Base Cape Cod. Across the street here, I'm looking at our brand new logistics building, so let's go take a closer look. So this is our brand new logistics readiness flight building. They just moved in less than a month ago, and uh, let's go check it out and surprise them. So as you can see, it's all, it's all brand new. Uh, as I said, they moved in here just a few weeks ago, about a month ago. And all of LRF is in here, with the exception of vehicle maintenance and the fuels element. Before, they were spread out even more, but now most of them are here. It's brand new with very little in it, but you get the idea. So next, we're going to go over to building 156, right out the door here, to where vehicle maintenance will be moving to uh, in the next few months. So here we are in building 156. It was the old engine shop many years ago. More recently, it served as an LRF facility. It's it's a big building, as you can see. There's lots of space in here. Our plan is to divide it into two sections. One section will be converted into a new vehicle maintenance facility, which will be in this area behind me that you can see. The other section over here will be our new uh, gym, fitness center. So we're gonna take a walk over there and, and show you that. So this is this is sort of it's hard to picture but this will be our our new fitness room uh there's a lot of square footage here uh and we'll be moving equipment over here toward the end of the year the plan is eventually this entire building will be fully renovated with two sections of course the the, the vehicle maintenance down down on the other side and the fitness center being here um, however with some retrofitting over the next four months it will be ready for Physical Fitness here and Vehicle Maintenance on the other side. So as I said, we're all familiar with building 158 that sits behind me. This building has served the 102nd extremely well for many years. But it's time for us to say goodbye to this old structure. Over the past few years, we have been slowly moving operations out of here. We still have a few functions inside. However, we expect to be fully out by the end of this calendar year. It costs us almost $400,000 a year for maintenance, for electricity, and for heat. So it is important that we divest this property as soon as we possibly can. We are trying to find a new owner, but otherwise it will eventually be demolished. So that's building 158. Let's move on to um, the future civil engineering facility of building 120. So this here behind me is building 120. I know it doesn't look like much, but but bear with me. This building has a long history with the 102nd. Many years ago, it was our PMEL lab. More recently, it was our HAZMAT pharmacy. It's currently unoccupied. This is going to be our new CE complex, bringing CE from its current location on the west campus over to this side of the base. This move will bring all 102nd Airmen inside the Gibbons Gate and the vast majority of our Airmen onto the East Campus. This project is still a couple of years off, but this is the plan. So, as you can see, there's a lot happening at the 102nd, and we have certainly experienced and adapted to much change over the years. But throughout all the change, our heritage has always been very important to us and a source of pride. One expression of this heritage is the aircraft we have displayed throughout the base. I encourage you to take some time to look at these displays and appreciate how we represent them as much as they represent us. Our newest aircraft to be displayed will be an MQ-1, which will sit right here on this piece of land that I'm standing on. So this concludes the tour. I hope you enjoyed it and have a great drill weekend.
1: We featured two AFSCs in our social media this month. First up is Staff Sergeant Kate Massey, who talks about the importance of the geospatial intelligence analyst career field. And then Technical Sergeant Austin Bertrand, who talks about some of the great work the cable dogs of the 212th Engineering Installation Squadron have been doing as they have been busy the last couple of weeks using a new technology to improve the base's communications capabilities.
3: I am Staff Sergeant Kate Massey of the Massachusetts Air National Guard, and I am a geospatial intelligence analyst. We are looking at the earth from above and analyzing what we see and communicating all of that information to decision makers across the Air Force and across the DoD. Um, They need good intelligence for every single mission where it's um, domestic or foreign. So I'm happy to be here and provide all of that information that I can. I'm able to have a career on the outside um, and also be a mom on the outside uh, and my skills translated directly from what I was doing active duty to what I'm doing in the guard. I love being able to provide uh, that actionable intelligence to people who need it. Um, I, love, uh, I love everything about my job.
4: <laughs> so we're the 212th EIS, right? Engineering Installation Squadron. And um, uh, today, it's all cable dogs on site. We're finishing up a, uh, an almost 8,000 foot run uh, with a new technology, which is uh, essentially jetting fiber or blowing fiber. It's bringing you know, essentially 144 new fibers to, to Basecom to expand their, uh, their infrastructure and capabilities. So how this uh, essentially works is uh, we've installed the micro through the microduct, duct, uh, we jet the fiber. Uh, this is connected to a compressor, but we call this the pusher. And with a couple of belts, uh, it, it funnels the air through. Previously, you would just pull the cables kind of one by one, figure eight, so forth. This compressor can jet uh, the fiber about, um, about 5,000 feet. We were able to do just those 2,000 feet in eight minutes, 10 minutes. There's a lot of pieces to this, and, and I think um, I had a great team and uh, they, they never let me down, which is great. It was a lot of learning. We had a, we had a couple of folks that um, just came off seasoning days, so it was their first job, and, uh, and I think it was a great experience for them. The morale was really high, and it, it just worked out really well. It's a new technology. This is the first job that this unit has had with it, and, um, you know, it, just really thankful to be uh, kind of a, a part of it.
0: Ms. Jill Garvin, the Wing Director of Psychological Health, spoke with two members of the 102nd ISRG Key Spouse Program about the goals of the program and some of the great work this team accomplishes for the airmen and families of the wing.
5: Hello everyone, this is Jill Garvin. I am the Director of Psychological Health for the 102nd Intelligence Wing and I have a couple special guests with me today. I have Angel Cummings who is our key spouse for the 102nd and I have Christy Gardner who's been a guest with us before. She's a psychotherapist and she's also the key spouse mentor of the 102nd. So today with school starting and the summer, unfortunately, ending Dean at some point, they're going to talk about the key spouse program and some of the resources that are available for our families here. So I'll just let you guys, uh, I'll let Angel go ahead and um, introduce herself and give us some information. Hi, Angel.
6: Hi. So yes, um, my name is Angel Cummings and um, I am the key spouse for the 102nd ISR group. Um, And the key spouse program is um, not a new program, but it's one of the newer programs that we've started out here. And um, it's a really great program, actually, for families, especially uh, that we're trying to make everyone aware of. We're really trying to um, make everyone aware of what everyone's resources are available uh, to everyone out there. Um, So basically what happens is uh, a lot of the members know what's available to them. They can go to their first shirt or to their supervisors or a lot of their leadership and they can kind of talk to them about what's available to them. Uh, But a lot of the families might not be aware to them what their benefits are. So they could reach out to their key spouse at any point and ask what a lot of their benefits are. Um, there really are a lot of them available uh, that a lot of people don't even realize are available, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's through Military OneSource, whether it's through uh, Blue Star Families, and you want to go and see one of the uh, great um, uh, museums in Massachusetts through the summer and get free admission. Any of those things uh, would be something that a family could reach out to us, ask a question about. Uh, we also do things such as uh, we did during Month of the Military Child, put together fun little grab bags for the kids that you could sign up for um, and send out. There were great coloring books involved and a little custom poker chip that we put in there. Uh, so lots of great things. So we really promote individual family and unit readiness and resiliency. Uh, we really want to encourage a lot of peer-to-peer wingman support amongst families and spouses. Uh, we really want to build family links to leadership so that they feel like they can really reach out and then uh, we will reach out to leadership and then reach back out to the families and strengthen uh, leadership supports um, and team. And we want to increase awareness in, in, of, about installation and community resources. Uh, we don't want people to go through um their entire military career as a family and not use the resources that are available to them. So those are really important. Uh, Christy, do you have any other things that you want to kind of jump in on?
7: We also have a Facebook group called the Seagull Support Group, which now Angel and I are running. Mm-hmm. So we try to post up different things that we have come across our emails and desks for the families and you can also connect with us there if you like to be on facebook perfect
5: yeah that's really good to know you know we've had a lot of uh deployers returning recently so when they come back i always um meet with them as well as you know aaron from family readiness and some of our other programs but this is also good for me to know um you know to pass to pass along for um, our folks that are returning and, and their families are kind of looking for some supports or wanting to get involved. And I know we have families that are kind of also spread out in, in different areas, not just on the Cape, but even off Cape, sometimes out of the state. So um, this is really wonderful to um, give them the, the resources to be able to connect with you guys and, and all the resources that they might not know about. Absolutely. Absolutely, Jill. And I think
7: one of the things we are calling at the Seagull Support Group, because although the official program name says spouse, we are welcoming any family member. We know some of our younger airmen have maybe parents or grandparents? They're curious about their deployments or have some questions about what's happening for them. And we welcome those members to contact us as well. Any loved one or friend um, that supports or sustains the resiliency of our airmen is welcome to reach out to us at the Key Spouse Program.
5: Awesome, it's always really nice. Yeah, that sounds so, great.
7: We've been definitely trying to reach out and get a social roster so we know those families that are experiencing deployments and any ways that we can support. One of the things that Angel and I have been spending some time this summer is learning about the different resources on Military One Source, And that can even include things like tutoring support for you. Uh, so I always like to tell families, especially if you're single parenting it during a deployment, there's lots of resources on Military OneSource that you can use to enhance your relationship, to do some of those deployment kits with your kids. They have books and coloring books and different ideas for ways for families to stay connected during deployments, as well as reemployment and reintegration tools and kits too. Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure that people are giving those resources as well.
5: Sometimes I forget when I go on Military OneSource, I mean, they seriously have everything, you know, from from libraries and coaching and, and therapy and, and some of the things that you mentioned. And I think sometimes we forget about just the wealth of support and information that they have on their, on their website. So thank you for that reminder. Any other resources?
7: Well, I think that website can be a little overwhelming sometimes yes.
5: as well. That's why I don't <laughs> so go on you know. it a lot. Yeah, but it, yeah, it is good. Yeah.
7: Angel and I have some uh, in-depth experience with it. So anyone that's feeling a little overwhelmed can always reach out and ask us. They have a lot of classes actually right now and different trainings as well for spouses. Uh, so we thought if you're interested in any, anything like that, reach out to us and we'll try to keep pumping out some of that information through the fall, through our Facebook group,
5: especially. Wonderful.
7: And
6: and I just want to kind of hop on that too and say it's not just classes for um, you know, school aged kids. It's, it's classes for college aged kids. Um, I teach at the college. Um, I'm an adjunct professor, and there's classes on there to help prepare for clubbing courses. Mm. Um, there's classes in there uh, for even health and wellness and fitness. Uh, so, if there's anything that you're interested in, there's lots of um, resources in there for people to check out. And there's also discounted. Um, pages in there that you can go into if you're interested in ancestry and stuff like that. Um, There's lots of benefits in there that you can go and kind of look around and see if there's something, music pages, books, uh, things that you can download for a discounted price or for free that normally people would have to pay for. So it's a really, really great resource. Lots of things to be able to look at.
5: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that reminder. I appreciate you Supporting the spouses, it's needed and it's important. And, um, you know, again, just being in, in, in the guard, people can sometimes really feel disconnected. So I appreciate the work you guys are doing to help reconnect people.
7: Absolutely. Thanks, Jill. We hope to see everyone at any of our fall family events, even though we don't know mm-hmm. exactly what's happening with those. We really look forward to connecting and, you know, through COVID, I've really been trying to pump up the Facebook group, but we know everybody's so busy in the summer. Uh, we thought we would And just off. Drop you and a, a lot of people line. on vacations, too. <laughs> that's yeah. right. That's right. Just drop you a line as you start to come back yeah. to school, letting you know that
5: there's support out here
7: and we're just an email away
5: thank you. Any lasting or parting words before we say goodbye? That was helpful stuff. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Um, Angel, it's very nice to meet you. And I appreciate Yeah, you uh, being our key spouse. And I would love to, to meet with you some more one on one. So I'll reach out to you as well.
6: Yes, thank you very much for having me. And Um, I'm looking forward to being able to meet some more people and and being able to meet some more families. Uh, I'm slowly trying to get around and meet everybody, and meet everyone's families. It's been tough with COVID, but I'm looking forward to being more face-to-face with everybody in the near future.
5: Yes. Well, I will reach out to you. So thank you both for being here and taking the time. And, uh, yeah, have a great rest of your summer. Thanks to both of you. And everyone else, have a great afternoon. Thank you for joining us.
1: We are starting a new segment on the Seagull called Five Questions, where we ask someone knowledgeable about their field or a particular subject, you guessed it, five questions. <laughs> so here it is.
0: This is Five Questions, where we get to the point and learn as much as we can in a short amount of time on topics that have impact on our lives and careers. I'd like to welcome Captain Noel Lamy from the Staff Judge Advocates Office. Thanks for coming in, and are you ready for Five Questions.
8: Oh yeah, ready for five questions, Tim. Appreciate you having me. <laughs> All right. Um,
0: so, question number one: What is the mission of the Staff Judge Advocate? How do you support commanders from the wing level on down?
8: So we uh, here here at the legal office, we we uh, we offer the full spectrum of legal advice to, to commanders and 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 stakeholders on, on the installation. Uh, Long story short, the 102nd is a large organization, and, and we need to have, and, and it, like any large organization, it, it needs an attorney or a legal office to, to provide legal advice on a, a variety of issues. Uh, some of the stuff that you know, we advise commanders on are fiscal law issues, administrative issues, operational law issues, uh, specifically domestic operations, um, emergency response, Intelligence oversight. Um, where where the 102nd differs from a traditional law, large organization, though, is you know one of the things that w- we look at it also is, is the criminal side, the military justice side of things, and um, uh, it, and for the military, it's it's important to have the military justice aspect because there are certain crimes that uh, that occur in the military that that aren't really civilian specific crimes.
0: All right. Question number two. There have been some changes in the way discipline is handled with respect to the Massachusetts National Guard. Can you explain what's changed and how it might impact the airmen and soldiers assigned to the Guard?
8: Yeah, that's a good question, Tim. So uh, for our Title 32 and State Active Duty members, uh, they're not normally, they're not going to be subject to the Uniform Code of Military Justice, which is what most what mo- most airmen on the federal side are 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 dealing with. Um, so in early twenty nineteen, the Massachusetts legislature passed uh, Chapter Thirty Three A of the Massachusetts uh, General Laws, and and what that is is a bit of a, a amendment to our traditional militia code, which is Chapter Thirty Three. And what 33A did was it created a Massachusetts code of military justice um, so that commanders uh, can have the option to take punitive action against airmen under state law. Whereas uh, prior to 2019, that really wasn't possible. Uh, So one of the big things that that we've done here in the past couple of years, working with the army side as well was, was standing up our uh, non-judicial punishment or our article 15 program.
0: Okay. Question number three, when it comes to deployments, what should our airmen know from a legal perspective in terms of their conduct and performance? And of course, if they were to get in trouble while under the control of the combatant
8: commander. So, uh, on deployments, that, that, that's where we, we join our active duty brethren in being uh, subject to the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And in addition to that, um, one, of the, one of the things to watch out for on a deployment is, 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 is that our airmen are, are going to be subject to, to, to court martial uh, as well as Article 15 processes under, under federal law. So <clears throat> when our airmen go overseas... They, they, they need to be, I'm not saying they need to be more careful than when they're on a 32 status, but when they're overseas, uh, especially in a deployed environment where a commander is more likely to, to, to take disciplinary action because of the nature of a deployment, um, they, need, they need to watch out and be really careful about what they're doing there because they could get hit with you know, a federal crime. And um, some of the punishments I've seen you know, our, our fines up, or rather forfeitures, up to you know three thousand dollars, in in a, in a non-judicial punishment forum. So that's kind of a big deal. You know, you figure you go overseas to make money, but they can take that money pretty easily, if uh, if people are getting in trouble. Um, <clears throat> and and like I said, you know, one of the big things overseas is really the only forum commanders are going to have. For a trial, because there's no local district attorney out there, right? There's no local district attorney that is going to prosecute a case like we have in Massachusetts, commanders are going to look at at, at the option of court-martial if, if, if the crime is serious enough. Oh.
0: Question number four. If airmen find themselves in legal trouble, say here in the Commonwealth with the civilian authorities what advice would you give? What should someone do if, say, they run afoul of the law?
8: Well, in general, I'd say you want to be, my advice to would be to be open and, and forthright with, with supervision on these issues. Um, generally, supervision will find out anyway, and it's always a lot worse when it looks like uh, somebody has h- hidden something from from the unit. Uh, and that's you know generally speaking for, for and I can't speak for every case, every commander but 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 I can say it is an aggravating factor when people try to tr- try to hide things now with respect to reporting uh, there's you know, you know a wing instruction that's available uh, online and and that wing instruction basically you know states that you have to report uh, arrests, and being charged, and I don't want people to be confused by that. So people need to arrest, it, need to report an arrest, and or uh, a charge. Uh, not, of course, you need to report a conviction, right? But it's not you don't. We don't wait until a conviction to report. We have to report right, right up front in the beginning. Um, the second big thing uh, that's important with respect to reporting is a lot of our airmen have uh, clearances to include TS clearances. And um, generally speaking, a crime, uh, a misdemeanor crime, for example, is not going to warrant uh, DOD CAF pulling your clearance, but lying about it will. So th- there is an obligation to report uh, for uh to the security managers, and any kind of negative interaction with law enforcement, if you fail to do that, and DOD CAF finds out that might be a basis for a suspension of a clearance, which may affect your ability to continue to be at this wing. Great.
0: Okay, question number five. Uh, changing subjects to something a, le- a bit less doom and gloom, what kind of services does the legal office provide? What are some of the things that most people come in for?
8: So yes, less, less doom and gloom, uh, that's a good thing. We, um, we, provide, we try to provide legal assistance to the best of our ability to, to the average airman. And, and one of the reasons for that isn't really uh, necessarily an altruistic reason. We want the airman focused on the mission, uh, not, uh, not necessarily legal problems that they may have. So uh, if we can go ahead and alleviate some of that stress on the legal side and get an airman focused more on the mission, uh, we're going to, we're going to try to do that. So, so some of my, uh, uh, a lot, a lot of people come in for, uh, family law issues generally, um, uh, divorce, custody. How do you, how, how do you get through that process from the legal, legal side of things? And, and, um, Generally, in a lot of cases, you won't necessarily need to go out and hire an attorney. If you come come by our office, we can, we can guide you through the process. And if you do need an attorney, we'll tell you you need, you need to go hire an attorney. Um, the, uh, the other uh, couple fields that we look at um, are, are estate packages. We'll generate those for people, especially those that are deploying estate packages being uh, wills, healthcare documents, these kind of things. We'll also do powers of attorney for airmen that are deploying or, or not deploying. If you want a will come in, I'll do it for you. Um, I've, I've seen a lot of immigration cases where, uh, we've had airmen, uh, for example, like coming off active duty, they're stationed in uh, Lake and Heath for example, and they get married to, to, to somebody who's not a U.S. citizen and they want to come over here and, and have that person, um, get a green card for example and I'm I've done a lot of those cases so again you know I'm happy to help handle those issues um to the best of to the best of my ability um and and other than that those are the three big areas I'd say that I deal with but I'm happy to you know I'm Massachusetts attorney I'm happy to talk to you about any issue and if I don't know the answer I'll try to find out for you and uh you know and if I think you need to hire a civilian lawyer, I'll tell you straight up, you need to hire a civilian lawyer.
0: Great, fantastic. Uh, okay, so that's the end of the, uh, the five questions. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Captain? Anything you want our airmen to know?
8: Sure, I, I'll just say again, you know, try to be open and upfront with your supervision if there is an issue. I, I can't speak for every commander in every situation, but almost, almost all the time it goes better we we don't have any desire to to to, to kick airmen out or, or do anything like that. Uh, we just wanna we just need to know what's going on so that if if necessary, um, we can take whatever action we need to take so that so that airmen can continue to serve with us and and uh, you know, be productive airmen, right? Yeah, so. Absolutely.
0: So, uh, what's the best way to folks uh, for folks to reach out to you? Uh, where's your office located?
8: Yeah, I'm in um, uh, Building 170, second floor. So, um, 170 is is where you know finance and all those other offices are, and uh, I'm just on the second floor. I can be reset. I can also be reset 4 four three three six, and um, and that's that's pretty much it.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for uh, coming in today and, uh, and, and answering five questions.
8: Yeah, happy to do it, Tim. I yeah. uh, appreciate you having me in. Great. Thank you.
0: Miss Alyssa Fragano, an intern we've had working here in public affairs over the summer, wrote a great article on the history of the Purple Heart Medal. She recently sat down with Airman Scridulis to talk about one of the most meaningful decorations presented to American service members.
1: The Purple Heart is an award currently for members of the Armed Forces who, while serving, has been wounded, killed, or has died from wounds by enemy action. There are a ton of technicalities and rules that have changed throughout the years, but since August 7th was National Purple Heart Day, Alyssa Fragano, an intern here at the 102nd, was awesome enough to do lots of research and put together a graphic and a story about its history. So Alyssa is here to answer some questions and share some of what she learned. Um, So I just wanted to
9: start out. Would you tell me a little bit about um, the start of the medal? Yeah, of course. Um, It was established by then General George Washington in 1782 as the badge of military merit. At the time, it was a purple cloth or silk shaped like a heart. It was only in use for a few years way back in the 1700s, so in 1932, on the day George Washington would have been 200 years old, the Purple Heart was created, featuring Washington's profile in recognition of his original vision for the Badge of Military Merit. The new decoration was at the time awarded for merit, as the badge had been, and for wounds received in action against the enemy. Cool, so it used to be awarded for merit, but how else has it changed? Well, there have been all kinds of changes in eligibility over the years. It was awarded exclusively to soldiers that first decade and then opened up to be available to the other branches. Around the same time, it stopped being awarded for merit altogether. One of the biggest language technicalities was what quantifies an enemy. The U.S. wasn't formally a participant of the Vietnam War until 1965, so there were a few years where there was no enemy to justify earning a Purple Heart. This language was changed to stay as a result of action by a hostile foreign force. And there have since been a bunch of specifications made to avoid disagreements over who can and can't receive the Purple Heart. So in those many specifications, there are
1: probably a lot of civilians who would, by the same terms, be eligible to receive the Purple Heart or something like it, right?
9: Yeah, there was actually an executive order passed in 1942, around the same time that whole extending eligibility to other branches happened, that allowed for posthumous awards to be given, Uh, and this was retroactive to December 6th, 1941, the day before the attack on Pearl Harbor. So this was another very consequential change, a lot like the enemy to hostile foreign forces You know, it came a year after the attack on Pearl Harbor and still explicitly made sure the service members involved were recognized. It also, this is where I'm getting to civilians, it also allowed for non-military personnel to be awarded. Uh, Among the earliest of these were nine Honolulu firefighters. Um, Civilians could be awarded like this uh, and were awarded through 1998. And what about after 1998? There was actually a lapse in time between 1998 and 2001 where civilian casualties in the line of duty weren't recognized with the decoration. After 9-11, a sort of companion medal was created for civilian DOD in place. So that's what they have now.
1: Cool. Uh, probably my favorite history that I've learned from you um, regards all of the fun animals that received Purple Heart oh, Awards.
9: Yes. Um who, who got him? <laughs> so during World War II, Chips of the K-9 Corps became the only dog to receive an official Purple Heart. It was later revoked due to Army policy that didn't allow for commendation of animals. Mm. Uh, however, Staff Sergeant Reckless, the horse, served in the Marines, and she managed to get two Purple Hearts for wounds received during the Korean War. Her job was transporting ammunition, and she was wounded twice during the Battle of Vegas. Um, yeah, it was a big one for her career. She got two Purple Hearts and was promoted to Corporal.
1: So, Chips got an official Purple Heart? Were there animals that got them
9: unofficially? I believe there have been a few, but Luca the dog is probably the most famous. Do you remember Luca? She was trained to detect explosives and performed over 400 missions with no human fatalities, but lost her own leg in 2012. She couldn't officially be awarded a Purple Heart, but a two-time recipient gave her one of his own. So what stopped her from getting an official one, then? I mean, you know, Chips had his revoked, and Sergeant Reckless was in the Marines, but Luca was in the Marines, too, so I don't know... It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But they've since created an award specifically for animals to recognize wounded animals. How many birds got the award? At least one. Messenger pigeons. At least least one messenger pigeon. Oh, really?
1: Oh, my goodness. And then just sort of to finish this up, um, for anyone today who um, might think that they should have received a Purple Heart, or if you want
9: to look into the specifics on qualifications, uh, where might they go? So Recognize the Sacrifice was an organization founded in 2009 uh, specifically for service members with combat-related traumatic brain injury, but their website has a lot of useful information both for the criteria and the application process to get the Purple Heart. Cool stuff. Well, thanks for talking to us.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, If you want to check out Alyssa's infographic and article she wrote on uh, National Purple Heart Day... You can check it out at facebook.com slash 102IW. If you listened to our previous episode of The Seagull, you'll know that we have another podcast called Chevrons. From junior enlisted to senior leaders and those in between, we interview notable individuals to address everyday challenges and hurdles the enlisted force faces. The little teaser you are about to hear is from our latest episode featuring Chief Master Sergeant Joseph Caulfield, Command Chief of the 105th Airlift Wing, Stewart Air National Guard Base in Newburgh, New York, and Staff Sergeant Kyle Courier, Digital Network Intelligence Analyst of the 203rd Intelligence Squadron right here at
8: OTIS. Um, they were missing the mark completely. And uh, this Master Sergeant Steve Moss took me under his wing and probably saved me from that. And you mentioned, I wasn't planning on mentioning this until you said retention. I would have gotten out and never come back if it wasn't for Master Sergeant Steve Moss. And the way he took me in under his wing and he mentored me and created kind of like a safe haven and then allowed me to develop under him. So that's what we hope to achieve in our mentorship.
0: Thanks for listening to The Seagull. For more news from the 102nd Intelligence Wing, visit our website at www.102iw.ang.af.mil or search for 102iw on any major social media platform.